Nostalgia is not always a good thing. It can be a look at the past through rose-colored glasses of sentiment devoid of reality. It's not always a good thing, but there is a path many in the church once trod that led them to God, and we should look back on those days that others knew and pray to God He'd take us there too. Welcome everyone, this is the Ministry of the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. It's been my honor to be the Bible teacher for this ministry for over 20 years. We rejoice to be able to come to you every weekday. This is a program of the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its Missions Fellowship, the Bread of Life, in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about our work by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Now we're considering the ministry in the Church of the Prophetic Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There we have learned that the message preached must be inspected by the body of Christ to see if it conforms to the declarations of truth found in the early witness of the apostles, those who wrote the New Testament. That means that what is preached must reflect and build in uniformity from the teachings of the New Testament. Again, we've learned that it must be a word that points all listening to the Lord Jesus and calls upon us to submit to the Spirit who speaks even now through the Word of God. How are we to have this prophetic word come to us? And our answer was, it's to be received. Paul is commanding the church to gather together and to receive this word unto themselves. And in verse 29, what he tells them to do is they're to judge. It's to be expressed, and then they're to judge. And what are they to judge? The word there means they're to discern or to test, or to weigh. And what they're to judge is first, is this a prophetic word? Is it of Christ? Is it from Christ? Is it to Christ? Is it full of Christ? Is this a prophetic word of truth? They're to judge that. Does this fit our circumstances, and does it come to us in the voice, as God's voice and God's direction for us? Listen, this is, to some extent, what happens when you come beneath the prophetic word and judge Your judgment comes off like this. That was a word from God. God was speaking there. God is saying something to us, brothers and sisters. So you're a judge in that way. So you judge the person speaking, you judge the message that spoke, you judge the spirit of Christ in the message, and you judge the spirit of Christ in the messenger, and you hear the prophetic word, but then once you've judged and you've said this is of God, your judgment doesn't end. It says judge, but it doesn't say what to judge. That's because there's more to be judged than just the messenger or just the message. Now you have to judge yourself before that word. You have to let it probe into your life. You have to say, this is in implications for my life. This is what God is requiring of me. This is how God is calling to express myself within this body, to my brother, to my friends. And God probes and God deals with us. And so once having determined that the word is prophetic, the judgment doesn't end. It's not as if What's being commanded to us here is to somehow put our stamp of approval upon something. Yep, that's good. That's of God. This is not preaching to the choir. This means prophetic word is not railing against the world so we can all say amen. This is putting forth God's truth to one another so that we can study out by the Spirit of Jesus Christ its implications for our lives. Well, that's the idea here. Somewhere back in the 80s, an emphasis was changed from this anointed expression of the prophetic word being a ministry carried out in the church, a premium was put on individuals who were good communicators. 
individuals who were just polished and were entertaining. I remember when it started happening. We had a camp that I grew up in. You didn't always kind of know what was working in the life of all the churches, but once a year you'd go to the camp and you'd have churches all gathered together and you'd kind of get a temperature of how God was at work within the different churches. I was maybe only 16 or 17 or 15 when I noticed a change had taken place. Before, in the camp, where we'd go, we'd have evening services, morning and evening. We'd have these preaching services, and they'd bring in wonderful individuals. In fact, if you went back and you were to study the tapes of different pastors and individuals come and spoke at that camp at different times for that week or 10 days that they would gather together, you'd find tapes of A.W. Tozer in it and Vance Habner in it, and these were great men of God that God spoke through and others like that. And when these men would come and speak at the end of the service, one of the things that would normally take place is that there would be a quiet hush at the end of the message. There would be some people that would be towards the front praying. There was an altar that was up there. There was very rarely ever an altar call given. People just made their way there to pray. People that were talking to one another. People would filter out and they'd go to weigh that word and address it and deal with it. And the night kind of ended that way. Uh, Peace settled upon that camp. You know, I was a young man who loved camp. I played hard all day long. We swam. We'd go down to the river. We'd play volleyball and baseball and you know, we'd run around and flirt with the little girls that were there and all the things you do at camp, right? And then your dad was there to correct you and see you and tell you not to do certain things and stop running around the campground. Anyhow, it was all going on and it was great. But there was always a sense in which the day at camp always ended with a quietness, a calmness. It was established as God's word was spoken and the people heard it. You know, they had a great hamburger stand at the camp. Best hamburgers I've ever had. The hamburger stand got better and more popular when the preaching style changed. You went back to the camp. They had a very dynamic speaker there. He was really entertaining. We were all laughing. Some of the best jokes I've ever heard. Clean, too, and fun. And uh, I remember he got down and he started working the crowd. He'd kind of walk and ask questions of people at different times and laugh and get back up and speak. Then when it was all done, the, the hamburger stand started opening up and the busiest place in the camp was the hamburger stand. We'd all be lining up and laughing and when the message was over with, we'd think, man, let's go get a burger. It wasn't until after... I got home and started evaluating, realizing something changed this year. That was fun, but something was different. The prophetic word and our response to it. Now, it's not just one-sided. If there's been a lack of prophetic preaching in the body of Christ in our churches in the last 20 years, it's not simply because the preachers have failed. It's because the congregations have failed to search out the word that's brought before them. They failed to judge it. They failed to even apply it and judge it to their own hearts before the Spirit of God. So when we receive the Word, judging it and judging ourselves before it through the work of the Spirit of God, we perpetuate that ministry before the world and pass it on to another generation. It is what is the greatest gift God gives to the church, and it's what we need in this hour more than anything else. Whether it's over your cup of coffee or on the phone, or in a letter, or from this pulpit. Now, let's go on and consider some more things here. The next question we were to ask was, what impact will it make when this word is brought before us? What impact will this prophetic word make upon the gathering of Christians receiving it as we've just described it? Verse 3 tells us the impact. It says that he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men or to all. And he is speaking of their ministry to the church. Edification, exhortation, 
comfort. That's the three, you might say, marks or reverberating impact of the Word of God as it's preached to individuals. We'll look at them very quickly. Edification is simply this, that the church is built up into maturity by the expression of these truths that are centered in Jesus Christ. That those in the believer who is listening and coming under this Word and judging it, judging the Word and judging themselves before it, will be strengthened in their faith. They will be strengthened in their inner life, their spiritual life. They will be enlightened to inwardly grasp God's truth and enabled to assimilate that truth into their lives and make it their own. That's edification. That's building up. There's something wonderful and positive about that. But edification is not all about just positively building you up. Edification involves some deconstruction even as you get into construction. Any of you want to do a remodel on your house, you know you've got to tear things down before you can tack things on. If you keep putting a new roof on old shingles after a while, you know, you've got a mess. Go to Jeremiah for a moment. Jeremiah chapter 1. God commends the ministry of prophecy to Jeremiah. And he commends to him, in this prophetic ministry, this work of edification. First Jeremiah says, Lord, I'm too young. I, I can't do these things. And the Lord put forth his hand and touched his mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Say, I have this day set you over nations and over kingdoms to root out and pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. All right, two parts deconstruction, one part construction. Edification is not all about just giving you positive affirmations that you can repeat to yourself over and over again. It's not giving you even truth that you can build and lay upon your life. It's giving you truth that demands that you set aside other things. It demands, on your part, repentance and brokenness and surrender so that God can then come in and begin to build afresh and anew the life of Christ through the Word applied to the various areas of your life, assimilating His truth into your own walk. And so, expect if you're going to live under a ministry of the prophetic Word for it to get under your skin and to upset you and disrupt you and disturb you and demand changes, and demand that things be lost in order that great things may be gained. Now, here's the next thing it does. The passage says here it's for exhortation. The Greek word here is more expressive of the idea of encouragement. It has the idea that it cheers a person on in their walk of faith. It corrects, but it always does it with a positive outcome in mind. It's always pressing us positively onto higher ground to gain in giving glory to God and experiencing the glory of God in our lives, to gathering into ourselves a greater and greater fruitfulness in our ministries, in our work, in our walk. It's encouraging and exhorting us on to take shape and let the life of Jesus Christ take shape of us and be built up within us. So the themes, you might say, of prophecy ultimately end in words of encouragement for the body of Christ. It can be a stern word, but it's always loving. It's always a word that goes forward believing the best possibility for anyone who will receive it. It isn't, as we said, preaching to the choir then, is it? It's really coming to us and seeking to build us. It's speaking to the heart that needs to be lifted up to Christ and called to see Him and receive Him for all that He is and all that He would do in the life of that individual. That's the prophetic word. That's how it 
is meant to go forward. It goes forward as encouragement. Often bring to my mind the image of coaches that I've seen work with my kids. You have some individual who thinks that coaching some kid in some kind of athletic endeavor means that you berate them all the time. There's another coach that just wants to be positive all the time, but he never gets the best out of your child either. It's the one who is able to be stern and direct, but always with this idea, you can do better. There's more for you to accomplish. Well, in this case, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Christ wants to lead us to excellency. Paul says, if you want to excel, excel. Now do it to build one another up. There's a correction in all of Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians. I've said it before, it's a book of discipline. and It was hard for him to write it. In 2 Corinthians, he'll tell you that he wrote it in tears. And yet it's a word of encouragement. There's comfort to it. He's seeking to build them up. Acts chapter 15, if you turn there for a moment, tells us of a letter that is... We thank God that He's spoken in the Word and that He's given us the Holy Spirit, the author of that Word, to live in us and to illuminate it to our hearts still today. I encourage you to find a fellowship united around the clear teaching of God's Word that exalts the person of Jesus Christ. I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command, and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to savingevangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.